Chapter 18 of Cloudy Jewel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simão. Cloudy Jewel by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter 18. It was all still below stairs, then a soft, stealthy, silken movement cautiously coming up the stairs. Julie Cloud went quickly to the hall door and switched on the light. On the landing stood Leslie, lovely and flushed, with her hair slightly ruffled and her velvet evening cloak thrown back, showing the rosy mist of her dress. She stood with one silver slipper poised on the stairs, a sweet, guilty look on her face. "'Oh, Cloudy, I thought you were asleep and I didn't want to waken you,' she said penitently. But you haven't gone to bed yet, have you? I'm glad. We wanted you to know we were home. Is anything the matter? Julia Cloud asked with a stricture of emotion in her throat. No, only we got tired, and we didn't want to stay to their old party anyway, and we'd rather be home. Leslie sprang up the stairs and caught her aunt in her arms with one of her sweet, violent kisses. Oh, my dear! was all Julie Cloud could say. And then they heard Allison closing the door softly below, and creaking across the floor and up the stairs. "'Oh, you waked her up!' he said reproachfully, as he caught sight of his sister in Julie Cloud's arms. "'No, you're wrong. She hadn't even gone to bed yet. I knew she wouldn't,' said Leslie, nestling closer. "'Say, Cloudy, we're not going to trouble you that way again.' It isn't worth it. We don't like their old dancing anyway. I couldn't forget the way you looked so hurt. And the things you said. Won't you please come down to the fire a while? We want to tell you about it. Down on the couch, with Allison stirring up the dying embers and Leslie nestled close to her, Julia Cloud heard bits about the evening. It wasn't bad, Cloudy. Did it wasn't. They dance a lot nicer in colleges than they do other places. I know, for I've been to lots of dances, and I never let men get too familiar. Alison taught me that when I was little. That's why what you said made me so mad. I've always been a lot carefuler than you'd think, and I never dance with anybody the second time if I don't like the way he does it the first time. And everybody was real nice and dignified tonight, Cloudy. The boys are all shy and bashful anyway. Only I couldn't forget what you had said about not liking to have me do it, and it made everything seem so, so, well, not nice, and I just felt uncomfortable. And one dance I sent the boy for a glass of water for me, and I just set it out. And when Allison saw me, he came over and said, Let's beat it. And so I slipped up to the dressing room and got my cloak, and we just ran away without telling anybody. Wasn't that perfectly dreadful? But I'll call the girl up after a while and tell her we had to come home and we didn't want to spoil their fun telling them so. They sat for an hour talking before the fire, the young people telling her all about their experiences of the last few days and letting her into their lives again with old sweet relation. Then they drifted back again to the subject of dancing. I don't give a whoop whether I dance or not, Cloudy, said Allison. 
I never did care much about it, and I don't see having my sister dance with some fellows either. Only, it does cut you out of lots of fun, and you get in bed with everybody if you don't do it. I expected we'd have to have dances here at the house too sometimes. And but, if you don't like it, we won't, and that's all there is to it. Well, dear, that's beautiful of you. Of course I couldn't allow you to let me upset your life and spoil all your pleasure. But I'm wondering if we couldn't try an experiment. It seems to me that there ought to be things that people would enjoy as much as dancing, and why couldn't we find enough of them to fill up the evenings and make them forget about the dancing? There'll be some that won't come, of course, said Leslie. But we should worry. They won't be the kind we'll like, anyway. Jane Bristol doesn't dance. She told me so yesterday. She said her mother never did, and brought her up to feel that she didn't want to either. She's some girl, said Allison irrelevantly. She entered the sophomore class with credits she got for studying in the summer school and some night work. Did you know that kid? I was in the office when she came in for her card, and I heard the profs talking about her and saying she had some bean. Those chumps in the village will find out some day that the girl they despise is worth more than a whole lot of them put together. Julie Cloud leaned forward and touched lightly and affectionately the hair that waved back from the boy's forehead and spoke tenderly. Dear boy, I'll not forget your leaving your friends and coming back to me, and to the Sabbath and church and all that. It means a lot to me to have my children observe those things. I hope some day you'll do it because you feel you want to please God instead of me. Sure, said Allison, trying not to look embarrassed. I guess maybe I care about that, too, a little bit. To tell the truth, Cloudy, I couldn't see staying away from that Christian Endeavor meeting after I've worked hard all the week to get people to come to it. It didn't seem square. The moment was tense with deep feeling, and Julie Cloud could not bring herself to break it by words. She brought the boy's hand up to her lips and pressed it close. And then, just as she was about to speak, the telephone rang sharply again and again. Elson sprang up and went to answer. Hello? Yes? Oh, Miss Bristol. What? Are you sure? I'll be there at once. Lock yourself in your room till I get there. He hung up the receiver excitedly. Call up the fire department, quick, Leslie. Tell them to hurry. There's someone breaking into the Johnson house, and Jane Bristol is there alone with children. It's Park Avenue, you know. Hustle. He was out the door before they could exclaim, and Leslie hastened to the telephone. He went without his overcoat, said Julia Cloud, hurrying to the closet for it. It will be very cold driving. He ought to have it. Leslie hung up the receiver and flung her velvet cloak about her hurriedly, grabbing the overcoat. Give it to me, Cloudy. I'm going with him, she cried and dashed out the door as the car slid out of the carriage. Oh, Leslie, child, you oughtn't to go she cried, rushing to the door. But Leslie was already climbing into the car, moving as it was. It's all right, Cloudy, she called. There's a revolver in the car, you know. And the car whirled away down the street. Julia Cloud stood gasping after them. 
The horrible thought of a revolver in the car did not cheer her, as Leslie had evidently hoped it would. What children they were, after all, plunging her from one trouble into another. Yet what dear, tender-hearted, loving children! She went in and found a heavy cloak, and went out again to listen. Then it came to her that perhaps Leslie had not made the operator understand. So she went back to the telephone to try to find out whether anyone had been sent. Suppose those children should try to face a burglar alone. There might be more than one for all they know. Oh, Leslie should not have gone. A terrible anxiety took possession of her, and she tried to pray as she worked the telephone hook up and down and waited for the operator. Then into the quiet of the night there came the loud clang of the fire-bell, and a moment later hurried calls and voices in the distance, sounding through the front door that Julie Cloud had left open. For an instant she was relieved, and then she reflected that this might be a fire somewhere else, and not a call for the Johnson house at all. So she kept on trying to call the operator. At last a snappy voice snarled into her ear. We don't tell where the fire is. We're not allowed any more. And snap, the operator was gone again. But I don't want to know where the fire is, called Julia Cloud in dismay. I want to ask a question. No answer came, and the dim buzz of the wire sounded emptily back to her anxious ear. At last she gave it up, and went out to the street to look up and down. If she only knew which way was Park Avenue. She could hear the engine now, clattering along with the hook and ladder behind, and dark, hurrying forms crossed the street just beyond the next corner, but no one came by. She hurried out to the corner, and called to a boy who was passing, and he yelled out, "'Don't know, lady, up Park Avenue somewhere!' Then the street grew very quiet again, and all the noise centered away in the distance. A shot rang out, and voices shouted, and her heart beat so loud she could hear it. She hurried back to the house again, and tried to get the telephone operator. But nothing came of it, and for the next twenty minutes she vibrated between the streets and the telephone, and wondered where she ought not to wake up Cherry and do something else. It seemed perfectly terrible to think of those two children handling a burglar alone. And yet, what could she do? Pretty soon, however, she heard the fire engine returning with the crowd, and she hurried down to the corner to find out. It wasn't no fire at all, lady, answered the boy whom she questioned. It was just two men breaking into a house, but they catch them both and are taking them down to lock up. Now, lady, there was nobody killed. There was some shooting, sure. A girl done it. Some college girl in the car. She see the guy coming to make a getaway in her car, see? And she let go at him, and picked him off the first call, got him through the knee. And by the time the fire company got there, and cinched them both. She's some girl she is. Julia Cloud felt her head whirling, and hurried back to the house to sit down. She was drumming from head to foot. Was it Leslie who had shot the burglar? Leslie, her little pink and silver butterfly, who seemed so much like a baby, yet in many ways. Oh, what a horrible danger she had escaped! If she had escaped, perhaps the boy did not know. 
Oh, if they would but come! It seemed hours since they had left. The midnight train was just pulling to the station. How exasperating that the telephone did not respond. Something must be out of order with it. Hark! Was it the car? It surely was. End of chapter 18 Recording by Ana Simão from Portugal